Welcome to Practical Christian Living. And these promises that God made to the land were literally fulfilled. They're impressive promises, by the way. God puts an emphasis on it when he says, I raise my hand in an oath to the land of Israel. You shall shout, shoot forth branches and bring forth fruit for my people are about to come. We serve a God who keeps his promises and he will keep his promise to the nation of Israel. We just started a power-packed mini-series on Israel, what's going on in the Middle East, and how does the nation of Israel point to prophecy fulfilled and also big things still on the way. We're in Ezekiel chapter 36. Please stay with us. Here comes Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. D.L. Moody made a trip to Israel as well. Later on, he used the city of Jerusalem as an analogy. He was talking about heaven. He wrote a book called Heaven. And he used the analogy of how desolate Jerusalem was in 1850. And today, it is, it's an incredible, bustling city. Israel today is a major exporter of produce. It is about, it's a little less than half the size of Arizona and is a major exporter of produce. It is a world leader in technology. It produces 95% of its own food and it is rich in natural gas. That's just like a little subsurface of what Israel is like today. It truly does lead the world in technologies. It really does. And it is incredibly fruitful. When we take people over to Israel, and those of you that have been there with us, you know that we go up on top of Mount Carmel. And we talk about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and his showdown with them. But before we do that, we climb up on a church where you can look from the top, you can see the whole Jezreel Valley. And then I'll kind of stand with my back to the Jezreel Valley and get people in around me and say, take a look down below you. What do you see? And for as far as the eye can see, you see farmed land, just spots of land that has been farmed and produced as far as you can see. By the way, the Jezreel Valley is what we call the Valley of Armageddon. There's the mountain of Megiddo, the Armageddo, the mountain of Megiddo that is right by it. But it is fruitful to this very day. You can see it with your own eyes that God has promised this land that was desolate. When Israel began, when the Zionist movement began, there were Arabs that owned great portions of the land. They began to sell it to Jewish people who drained swamps, who did work to make it as fruitful as they possibly could. And these promises that God made to the land were literally fulfilled. They're impressive promises, by the way. God puts an emphasis on it. When he says, I raise my hand in an oath to the land of Israel. You shall shoot forth branches and bring forth fruit for my people are about to come. When Israel began to see these things happen slowly, thousands and then tens of thousands and then hundreds of thousands and now millions. In 1900, there were just a few thousand Jews that lived in Israel. Today, there's some 6.5 million that live there. In Ezekiel 36, 12, this is the, let me get to the, was that number two? I guess that was number two, wasn't it? So number three, the third thing I want to point out out of these passages, and this is Ezekiel 36, 9 through 12. 
God has promised to restore the people of Israel to the land of Israel. In 1916-ish, <laughs> try to remember the exact date, there was the Belfort Agreement where the British Empire was in control of Palestine. And they said that they were going to give, in the Belfort Agreement, you can look it up, that they were going to give a sec certain section of land to Israel. It includes all of Jordan. In the Belfort Agreement, they were going to give all of Jordan from the Mediterranean Sea to what is Jordan today, which is right next to it. And the family that is now, who was a king, I think it's King Hussein, um, that's the, the, the royal family in Jordan today, they went to the British government, made some pleas, and so they drew a line down the Jordan River and said everything on that side of the Jordan River would be given to Israel and everything on the other side would be given to the Jordanian people who are Arabs. And so God promised that he would give the land of Israel, uh, the land to, to Israel. Then he's, so in Ezekiel 9, 1 through 12, it says, For indeed I am your God, and I will turn you, and you shall be tilled and sown. Still talking to the land. And I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel. Who's God going to multiply? All of the house of Israel. Who's the people that took possession of the land? Who said, aha, I'm going to take this land? They are at least the Edomites. Okay? So he says, all of the house of Israel, all of it. And the city shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. And I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginning. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This is God saying that we are going to know that he is God when Israel returns to the land of Israel. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you. My people Israel. Again, that's important. It is Israel. They shall take possession of you and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. So he's talking of the nation of Israel. God not only promised them this, promises them this land, God says he's going to give it to them. And he says he is again making this oath to the land of Israel. Now, in 1948, there was an agreement to have a two-nation process. There was already skirmishes taking place between Palestinians and, and Israel. There were seven nations around Israel that were having skirmishes with Israel. And so in order to bring peace, they came up with a, a two-nation process. And they divided the land, that which would be Palestinian and that which would be Israel. The Palestinians refused. The reason the Palestinians said that they refused is they would not be a part of a nation that was next to the nation of Israel. They swore that they would destroy Israel and they refused to become a nation. Israel took the United Nations up on it. This is just simple history. You can look this up. Israel took them up on it. And Ben-Gurion declared on May 14th of 1948, we are a nation. I read a passage last week that said, can a nation be born again in a day? Certainly, as soon as Zion begins to her labor pains, she gives birth. And suddenly, there wasn't a nation on May 13th. On May 14th, there is a nation. 
immediately seven surrounding nations, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, I don't have all seven of them memorized, attacked Israel immediately. Egypt attacked them from the south. Um, Syria attacked them from the north. Jordan attacked them from the east and so on. And over the next few months, they miraculously held on against all of these nations. I think to a certain degree that they thought that Israel coming out of the second war, this is 1948, they had, they had come back from the Holocaust in 44. Six million Jews had been killed in the Holocaust and then they had been brought in and they were nothing but skin and bones. I sure am glad, by the way, that I didn't try to cover all four chapters. Never make it. But they were all skin and bones and they come back into the land at that point. And, and there's this war. And finally, the UN sees the, the death, the death toll mounting on both sides. And they come in and they freeze in what they call the, the green line, which stopped Israel's advances because Israel took more land than they were given to start. And so it gave the Palestinians the West Bank, including Jerusalem. Only the very east, east neighborhoods of, uh, were, belonged to Israel. And then also the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip were all taken by, by Israel. And uh, lines, were, lines were frozen. In 1967, there was another war with Russia's help. Russia was arming the different nations. They found a stash of, this, of these of missiles and, and equipment, military equipment, and they went on a preemptive strike. And they took a portion of Egypt. They took the Golan Heights. They took um, uh, the, the West Bank. There was another war in 1973. And to be honest with you, I'm trying to think whether or not the Golden Heights were taken in 73 or 67, but one of them they were taken in. And in the, the Yom Kippur War, it was Yom Kippur. That's the, the, the highest holiday in Israel. Everybody was home. And all of a sudden, they were attacked on all sides. They were attacked from the, the south, the north, the west, with a, another declaration that they were going to be completely wiped out. They were stopped on the north and the west, almost miraculously. But Jordan was rolling into Tel Aviv, which if you know where Tel Aviv's at, it's, it's in the ocean. It's by the ocean. They were rolling into Tel Aviv, and they suddenly stopped because they thought it was a trap. They thought, oh, you, our armies are being stopped on the north and stopped on the south, and we're not. And they, they retreated. They could have literally have rolled into Tel Aviv and taken the whole thing. It could have been theirs. But they stopped. Almost as if in the day in the Old Testament where God says, I will send confusion among them. They could have won, but they didn't win. And so God gave them the land. And it's really hard to make a treaty with a neighbor who wants to destroy you. It's really hard to go to the peace table and talk to someone who swears they're going to destroy you. It's the same thing Iran says today. Death to the infidels. We're going to deal with the little Satan first and then we're going to deal with the big Satan. That's what Iran says today. Israel is the little Satan. We, the United States, are the big Satan. They want to destroy Israel and they're helping Hezbollah. They're helping Hamas. They're doing anything they can. The reason that they have advanced rockets today, they're able to fire so many 
that they get through the defenses, the Iron Dome, is because of the help of Iran. Iran is a terrorist organization. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization. The United States does not sit down and go into peace treaties with terrorist organizations. We refuse to do it. And now we're going to demand that Israel sits down to a peace treaty with a terrorist organization. It seems like we're saying that. It's not going to happen. They're smart enough to know. The more land they give them, the more land they will be attacked from. If they are saying they want to wipe Israel out, it seems to me the first step to peace is the nations around Israel saying, like Jordan has, like Egypt has, Egypt made peace with Israel and they got their land back. They gave them their land back that they had taken. Jordan made peace with Israel and today is at peace with Israel, although I don't know where they stand with this latest conflict. But they accepted the nation of Israel, said, we, we accept that you are now a nation and they were able to make peace. That's the step. You want a step? You can't have Israel say they're going to wipe out every Palestinian and they won't allow Palestinians to live. They're not saying that. And I'm saying you couldn't have peace if that was the statement. And you can't have peace as long as the Palestinians are saying that Israel cannot exist. All right, let me go on a little bit here further now and we'll be done. All right. So the fourth thing that I want to look at is that the nation of Israel not only would have the land restored and the people restored, but they're going to be restored spiritually. This is yet in our future. Just like chapters 38 and 39, the Gog and Magog war are in our future. They, well, let me read you Romans, yeah, Romans eleven twenty-five. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Blindness in part has happened to them because Jewish people get saved. There's Jewish people here today. They get saved. But there's a, a blindness in part until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Jesus talked about that. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. I will turn away in righteousness from Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So they will one day realize that they have not followed the Messiah and they will receive Jesus as a Messiah and they will be given back a heart that will be set upon God. God will do a work in them. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all of your idols. Those were the false things they were worshiping. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give it to the heart, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and call you for the grain to multiply in it and bring no famine upon you. Today, Israel is highly secular. There are Orthodox Jews that live in Israel. But just like people from Israel in the United, that live in the United States are highly secular, so in Israel they are highly secular. They are not following and serving God. They do so on the surface, which should not surprise us. And so in chapter 36 alone, 
you have God's promise to restore the land, restore the nation of Israel to the land from the people who declared that it was theirs, and then we'll restore them spiritually. We're right in the middle of all of that. Now, one more thing that I want to talk about quickly, and then we'll close, and that is there's this theology called replacement theology. Covenant theology has that in it as well, and it's the idea that God changed his promises that he made to Israel to give to us as the church. The passage I just read is a real problem passage because we can look back and see it fulfilled. It's greatly encouraging to us because we go, man, you can see it clearly. It's a problem passage to them. So here's how some, I'm not going to say all, but how some in replacement theology have dealt with this. They claim that Israel is the one that stole the land for themselves that they claimed the possession and that we, the church, are going to get it and be able to move into it. There is no way that you can read that into that text that I just read you. That's why I pointed out to you, it constantly says, I will give it to Israel. And the people of Edom declared that it was their property. It never said that it was the Jewish people who declared it was their property. In fact, what you have to do to that passage <laughs> is... In the, in, the, in the area of Bible interpretation and theology, to make it say that is violent. If you're going to do that to that passage, I can't imagine what you would do to other passages in the Bible to make it fit what you believe. This is the danger when something obviously says the opposite of what you believe. What should you do when the Bible clearly says something different than what you believe? What should I do when the Bible clearly says something different than what I believe? What should we do? Change what we believe. Because God's word, let God's word be true and let every man be a liar. And I have changed what I believe. When I look at passages and go, I don't think it says that. I think it says something different than what I have believed it said. Because I want to know the truth. I don't want to just be right. There's no way, there's no possible way that this could ever be saying that. That's why I pointed it out over and over and over again. God will restore, has restored the land, has restored the people to the land, will restore them spiritually, and there will be a war. And that is in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Lord willing, we'll cover 37, 38, and 39 next week. I had all four chapters planned to cover all of them. Let me just give you a couple thoughts in closing. If all of what I've said today is true, if these passages have been fulfilled among people among us, their lifetime, people in this room with us were alive when these things took place, then what should we do? Number one, we should occupy until he returns. We should live our lives in such a way that people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Number two, we should be ready because if we are living in the latter years and the latter days are about to start with the Gog and Magog war, then Jesus could return for us at any moment. And again, make no mistake about it. The Bible says, I don't want you to be ignorant, but with the shout and the, with, the, with the trumpet and the shout of the archangel, the Lord will return and we will be caught up to meet him in the air and we will forever be with the Lord. There's no other way that could be taken but a rapture. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die. 
But some of us are going to be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible and this mortal is going to put on immortality. Get ready. Stay ready. Make sure things are right between you and God and make sure you keep things right between you and God. Finally, redeem the time. Paul said the days are short, so redeem the time. Do things with your time that, are, that cause you to grow spiritually, that affect other people coming to Christ. Redeem the time because if the time was short when Paul said it, the time is shorter now. And God is not slack concerning his promises, but desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what we find here in these, these pages. For the encouragement that the land of Israel has been restored, that the people have been restored to the land, that you said you would give it to your people Israel, that you would judge them for their sin, you would bring them back from their idolatry, and you would give them the land, and that you were going to restore them spiritually. And Lord, we are encouraged because we see that this was fulfilled literally in our day. And I pray, Lord, that it would fire us up for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. And if there's anybody here today who has never given your life to Christ, you've never said, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that if you believe and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Romans chapter 10 again, it says, call out on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's not so important what words you use to call out on the name of the Lord. It's that you do. When you commit your life to Christ, he's going to move into your life and he'll transform you. You will become a new person. You will be given eternity. You will one day rule and reign with Christ. There is so much to know, so much to learn about how many things God will do for you. And if today you want to give your life to Christ and begin living for him, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just raise your hand now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. The idea there in Hebrews is that later on you might not hear his voice. The Bible says no man comes to the Son unless the Father first draws him. It means God's got to be drawing you today. So I'll just scan the room one more time. If you're watching online, you can respond by saying, I want to give my life to Christ. If you're listening on the radio, you can say, I want to give my life to Christ as well. All right. So we're going to pray for those that are online and listening on the radio. By, we're going to trust by faith that they gave their lives to Christ. And so I would like everyone, including those who responded, to pray this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin separates me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life. I turn from my sin. In the name of Jesus, amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you, may you live for Christ. May you know his word is true and it's evidenced by the fact that he tells the future and it has been fulfilled. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.